Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Continental O-E-T-S. You can find weird things in your car, not just petrified French fries or melted crayons. Live snakes. Weird, bizarre trinkets. Stuff that makes you wonder, what the hell are folks thinking when they're driving? Anyway, you can also find Continental Belts. Bet you didn't know they're OE in millions of Chrysler, Dodge, Ford, BMW, VW, and GM vehicles. Continental is launching a new aftermarket multi-V belt with the OE pedigree. It's their OE technology series. Fanatically engineered for a perfect fit. Form and function for over 98% of vehicles on the road in the U.S. and in Canada. Continental. OE Technology Series Multi-V Belt. The belt with the OE pedigree. Get the full story at OETechnologySeries.com. That's OETechnologySeries.com. Hey, everyone. It's Adam Carolla, and welcome to another episode of Going Racing, a show that highlights the fastest cars, best races, and biggest celebrities in the automotive world. Here's a conversation we had with David Gooding and Hans Wuerl from Gooding and Company. All right, let's see. I'm trying to get all my papers done in front of me. David Gooding, Hans Wuerl, good to see you guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, how are you? Uh, we're always busy, <laughs> as, as you can tell. But uh, good, and uh, you know we're in probably the same shape you are, which is trying to get ready for this uh, circus called Monterey. And uh, you guys got your work cut out for you. I think this is probably your busiest time, your biggest event. Although Amelia Island is probably starting to compete with it. You tell us. Yeah, Scottsdale. Yeah, no, basically, um, yeah, Pebbles are our biggest in terms of dollar value. Um, we have 140 cars there. Uh, this year, which is usually what we have, it's a two-night sale or a two-day sale, Friday night and Saturday, uh, the 16th and 17th. Um, but uh, Scottsdale is also a two-day sale, and Amelia is growing like crazy. That's a one-day sale in March. So so you guys have a two-day sale, but a, a question that comes up a lot on social media is, can anybody go to the auctions? Because we talk about them so much. So uh, are are your viewing days public days? Yeah, absolutely. We, we actually want to be as inclusive as possible and, and everybody's welcome. Yeah, so our preview days start on, on Wednesday at 10 a.m. and the preview goes on through Thursday and then all the way through until the sale starts at 5 p.m. on Friday as well. Is there a um, fee to view so you can keep out the riffraff? Yeah, yeah, there's a fee. It's so I think it's $75 a person or you can buy a catalog which admits to and you get our big double catalog which you guys have seen which is always a nice thing for people to have and I think that's $200 and that okay. gets two people in. Matt and I, because uh, we're a sad old couple, <laughs> I, I were having this discussion the other day while I was walking my dog. I was like, Gooding used to go Sunday. They'd go Saturday, Sunday. Then they switched to Friday, Saturday. When did they switch to Friday, Saturday from Saturday, Sunday? And then we had I, we speculated for a while about right. when, when you switch. It had to be recently, 
It was three years ago? Three years ago. Yes. I think this will be our third sale with the new schedule. Yeah. This will be your third. All it's right, a blur so. to us. It's just we're, we're, we're down. But yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, a, it was a pro- approximately yes. three years ago. Uh, it, it appears. If you guys that, ever have questions about that, you can call us. Let us thank know. You. Yeah, yeah, no, we, were pretty, <laughs> we, have, we might be calling yeah, you we're, in the we're next week. We're pretty good with this kind of we stuff. Love, uh, <laughs> we love, we're looking at the book, the catalog. That's always amazing. We got uh, Nikki Lotta's F1. Uh, Ferrari on the front. It's we were so talking about looking. it outside, saying it looks like a toy. It's so tiny and it looks like a toy. Yeah, and you guys were saying, yeah, it actually when you get up on it, it looks like you're supposed to pick it up. It's the most beautiful <laughs> toy in the world. Oh it's my gosh, just gorgeous! Yeah. Well, yeah. specifically that car with its restoration, the way it's done, it's it's so impeccably finished that it it, it it does. It looks like a toy. It looks like a big hand could come grab it at any point. But w- would you guys uh, agree with this statement? Because we're always kind of talking about where the collector market is going and the hobby is going, and I. I I always say to Matt, you know, they didn't really have indie cars and F1 cars weren't really at the forefront of the collector market. People didn't have a lot of interest. They wanted old 50s and 60s Ferraris, and then they wanted Le Mans history, a lot of Le Mans history. And, of course, your GT40s and your Ferrari GTOs, and, and, it, and it bled into M1 Pro cars and stuff like that. But there really wasn't much Indy or open wheel or F1. And now it's starting to spread like, like almost like it's spread into the group C rally stuff. Like it just, mm-hmm. it just keeps spreading out into these other markets. Who would have thought eighties group C rally stuff would be bananas, but here we are, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, open wheel cars in particular, I think have always struggled a little bit from an accessibility standpoint. There's, there's obviously less places you can use one, right? you know, so unless you're going to go race it. Um, but when you think about single seaters, you know, they've always been the pinnacle of motorsport, whether it's the Indy 500 or, or, or Grand Prix racing, it's always been the top level of racing. And so from a historical standpoint and from a collectability standpoint, the cars stand equal to just about anything else that ran at Le Mans and everything. Obviously, if, if you want to compare it to a, a GTO or a GT40, there's road tours, tour auto, there's you know all kinds of things you can do with those cars that's not a racing event. And right. I think that's helped, that's helped the values of those cars tremendously. But we have seen... Formula One cars and Indy cars come up in a lot of people's you know interest lists, and obviously they have seen a rise in value. Well, you made a good point in that you can use most of these sports cars for other things as well, but the you know the Indy cars, F one cars, you really can't unless it's just vintage racing or you're 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 just Chip Connor and you got them in your garage for fun. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> not using them; that's just yeah, looking just, at them. Just kind of looking at use, you know. <laughs> you know yeah. And he gives us tours there, and it's yeah. it's amazing. But uh, uh, I. It's it's interesting to see how those cars are, like you said, getting more valuable because they're starting to get used a little bit more. Like, well, they're, yeah, they're more events. Definitely, um, uh, the things like vintage the, racing's the, been growing. Well, the, there there are a lot more events for uh, indie open wheel indie cars than there used to be, uh, and certainly things like the Monaco Historics have done a tremendous amount for the the market and the demand. I mean, it's all it's all demand. So when there are these amazing events, you know, people, you, any one of us, if we have the money, yeah. which is, <laughs> which is a, a big hurdle. But if you have the money, you can basically buy that car and drive it at Monaco. I mean, Monaco historic. How is that not you on know? our radar? Oh, you have to go. <laughs> oh, oh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. We, David and I were there together, and it's yeah. it's just otherworldly. I mean, it's it's great to be in Monaco anytime, but sure. then there's vintage Formula One cars racing on the same track that they did, you know, since pre-war. So it's it's an incredible place. Yeah, yeah, uh, and I I imagine that automatically the Monaco historics are only a few years old, right? Since 
I mean, it's no, not. no, since uh, pre-war. No, I mean, I mean the historic oh, oh, the race. Historic, sorry, yeah, sorry, yeah sorry. no, it's, but it's been going on. It's a biannual event, so it doesn't always come oh, around yeah. like yeah. random consciousness. But, but I think yeah. I, I don't know when it started. Maybe eighties or nineties. Oh, I didn't know yeah, it had yeah. been going on yeah. that long. It, I, Check yeah. into that, yeah. Maxipad, and we'll see. But yeah, yeah. either well, way, so correct me, please. You now have a a purpose and a place and a context for this car. Yeah, so well, now you now get to say to your wife, "Calm down." I know it was eight million bucks, but guess who gets to drive it in the streets of Monaco? <laughs> yeah. This guy, yeah. and I'll have my girlfriend cheering me on. <laughs> actually, actually, we had uh, a few years ago. I think it was Pebble Beach in two thousand six. We had a an earlier Ferrari three twelve, one of, with the spaghetti exhaust, and um, uh, we sold it. The fellow bought the car and said, "I'm going to go take it to Monaco." Took it to Monaco. Never had been. And won his race at Monaco. And he's, there's wow. a great, there's, wow. he's got a great video of it. I mean, it was just, just you know, magical. Started and, in 97, uh, did the next one in 2000, and then it's just been every two years uh, okay. since. Okay. What, a, yeah, what, yeah. An amazing, what an amazing ride. So it, it, it seems like the race car world uh, market, which was sort of, I don't know, it existed for certain cars, like a Ferrari GTO. Or four GT, but even even those lag behind. I just feel like the race cars have taken off in the last five to eight years. The street cars have been you know, pretty flat, and some have gone up, some have gone down. But the race car segment of the market, which was a neither here nor there proposition in the past, there I have a bunch of old Japanese race cars. No, this like what are the, those? Aren't worth anything because they're Japanese and they're race cars, so no, nobody wants them. So now they've turned into something. Right. Absolutely. Uh, What do you reckon? I I tell Matt all the time, I go, I think everyone wants a story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you own a Ferrari Daytona, that's good. And and you could have a story. This is a Ferrari Daytona. But also you could pull up to Cars and Coffee in Irvine and another guy could pull up in a Daytona. It could be the same color as yours. Right. So it's a little – it hurts your story. The race cars – there's so much story to them and the value of the race cars all in the story. So if this car was built for Le Mans but never showed up, it doesn't have nearly the value of one that ran Le Mans or one that placed in the top on the podium or one that won Le Mans. Now the price go- just keeps going, right? Mm-hmm. So I, 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 you, do you feel like people are looking for the story part of the collector market? Definitely. I mean, we, we you know. Th- Cars with interesting histories are always what we love sharing with people, and that's definitely uh, something that, just as enthusiasts, we we love delving into it. So, um, uh, definitely, our our clients are seeking that out, and they are, you know, excited, enthused, and ultimately bid and buy cars if they have a great history, a great story behind them. And that's it's it's the combination, it's the human element, the human history of the cars racing the people the the great engineers that built them if you can talk about that it's just it gives a hell of a lot more to the cars that you're you know showing and people gravitate toward that so many of these race cars are unique as adam is saying they're one off the the car could be one off the story absolutely is one off how do you how do you start to take a car that's never been up before Maybe something that's a racing car that's never been at auction before, and you have to start to determine a price. But there's no real comps out there. If it was a SL Gullwing, that's easy, right? Right? Yeah, you yeah. know, uh, Dino is easy, right? Right? Every auction has one or two or whatever, so yeah. people know what they're worth and what they're going to pay for them. 
But when you start getting into uh, you know something like one of the Nissan race cars or the Nikki Lauda car or something like that, where you're like, oh, I you know, how do you start to yeah. put a number on it? You, yeah, well, Matt, you other, and I, other than the client going, yeah. this is how much I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we, we've obviously go through this with every sale, and there's there's new cars brought to us that every time. And Matt and I, you, 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 you and I, you and I have had this. We've even had this uh, discussion about a specific car, but in in general, you you have to rely a little bit on comps because you have to have a leg to stand on. And one of the beauties of the auction process, obviously, is that the market gets to decide. But but we we do need to estimate things. We do need to negotiate with a client. So we we. You know, a Goodian company find other enthusiasts and experts in the field and ask their opinion if it's something that's very, very obscure. Yeah. Um, but you have to go at least to, you know, you and I were talking about, a, you know, a Nissan 300ZX yeah. MSA car. And so we looked at Trans Am cars and, and, and you need to look at other pe- things that it might compete with on the racetrack and other things that it, it uh, you know, that that mark – uh, other models that that mark may have and what those are worth, yeah. but it can be very very difficult. And also, then within the the model or th- of that race car, you can have a wide disparity by is this the car that won all the races or was this a spare car? Did Which it have tra- a bad accident? Did it have a bad accident? Did it? What tracks did it run at? You know? Yeah. Where's actually yeah. you brought up a good point in that list of something that I think Adam and I think about a lot of time during those discussions is what other cars did that car compete against? Yeah, you know, and what are they doing? You know, did a did a did a mid eighties Nissan go against a mid eighties you know BMW or something? And right. what where are those? Where are and those? why yeah. are those yeah. at that price? It's I don't know it's it's sometimes it's tough to look. Well, at- it's 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 who it's 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 kind of twofold now. I guess it's it's who they competed against and who they will compete against in whatever that group five run group or mm-hmm. group a four whatever it is like who else yeah. is at that dance and how much is the admission to that dance you know who yeah. are some of the cars that might be in the front half of that pack and what are the values of those cars and well, some yeah, yeah i mean yes. you bring up a very good point because some some cars that were not great vintage not great race cars in their day have become great vintage race cars because they can be modified or, or they're a lot more reliable than mm-hmm. some of the front runners, so they're <laughs> relatively much more valuable now than they would have been, you know, in their time period. So yeah, you know th- how they how they compete in a vintage race today it, it does have a factor. So we have to factor all that in. But what I what I love about our events, even for those of us uh, you know specialists or experts, is on the day as that car rolls up on the ramp we don't know what's going to happen it is yeah. a test of the market well, nobody you're does. watching sweating yeah exactly <laughs> you 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 watch you watch the market speak in real yeah. time and that's that's you know I, I often we have people that come to our events and say i'm not even a car person but just the market dynamics yeah. of it is really interesting to watch well there's a a singer up here which is yeah. interesting that Matt and I were speculating about we can ask you a little more about that there's uh the one the car that may be the coolest visually is the Lister Jag. That thing just <laughs> looks cool. It's it's 1959. I'm not a 50s car guy, but it's right at the end of the 50s and right into the 60s. It's so yeah. low slung. Uh, it's, um, it's oddly got like a land speed car yeah, kind of stance to it. It's got an arrow yeah. streamline. It's got a streamliner stance, and it's just like the wheels are so tucked up under there. I'm sure beautiful Jag power plant uh, under the hood. It's got the dirty gold brawny type 
uh, no, dirty gold, sorry, uh, type like uh, Lambo type 60s color on the wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just got a good look, big knockoffs. It's very, if you ever watch an episode of Speed Racer, it kind of just looks like every car that he's beating. It's the Mach 5. It's it's one of the cars that's running, trying to run the Mach 5 off Off the road. road. The Mach 5's got a little pickle fork front. And that was one of the first sports racers of the period that was designed to be specifically aerodynamic. You know, Frank Costin did the body on that, uh, the body work designed for that car, and he was an aerodynamicist. So it's absolutely, it's absolutely done to be aerodynamic, but I always love how Cars that were built sometimes by aerodynamicists also end up being absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and the the proportions of that car and the way it sits, as you say, especially like that profile shot that we just saw, it's incredible. They're, I, I they're think, gorgeous things. Uh, Pete Brock told a story about the Daytona, the the Shelby Coupe, and you know and there were some initial sketches and stuff on it. And he said, you, you know, do you want it to go fast? And uh, and him being you know into aerodynamics, studying it, he goes. Yeah, they what they do. It's like, all right, I got to lop off the back and do this to it, and and I forgot what the statistics were, but they ran it sort of a previous sort of body style. Then they ran it his way with the lopped off back. It was significantly faster on the top end. They said it was, I don't know, three seconds faster around Riverside or the top on the straightaway. It was like twenty two miles an hour faster Riverside than than a than a Cobra. Yeah, there's wow. some some version of that story. Like, they, like they put a like a hard top on a cobra. Right. Yeah, they whatever. driven yeah. cobras around there a million times, so yeah. they knew what the top, what those things topped out at. Yeah. at Riverside, and this thing won another twenty miles an hour faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah and the main difference was the bodywork. Yeah. It was the body. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the only yeah. the only yeah. difference was yeah. the bodywork because underneath was just a cobra. It's a yeah. standard, right? And, and that's that's Peter Brock. Just kind of, you know, you're you talk about. The aerodynamics. Then they didn't really have a lot of testing, or certainly nobody could afford the testing. Not the you know the Venice crew at Shelby. They kind of just had to yeah. rely on you know his his studies and his expertise. Well, so he he found some old drawings. His that that story just because I just finished this doc. <laughs> I'm only an expert at stuff I do movies on, but <laughs> when you want to know about something, yeah. you're like, let's when, do a movie on when, it. When when he was at GM, uh, according to Pete, he came yeah. across some old papers from like Germany or Europe or something from the 30s, and somebody had an idea about a streamliner that was whacked off at the end. Like you didn't need to go all the way out to a point; mm-hmm. you could you could fool the air. The thinking it went to a point if you had chopped it and put it at an angle. And P- Pete said in the dock that he remembered these old papers, these old calculations. And although he couldn't read German or French or probably German, he couldn't read the German, but he could read the numbers. Yeah. And, and he got the numbers and that's what he won off of. Interesting. Yeah. Very. Yeah. I wonder what the, what the sketches were. It's also oh, so yeah. crazy when you, you know, kids would just Google everything now. Yeah. Like the fact that he's in Venice and he's got to get the pa- hands on the paperwork, like dr- calcs written out yeah. by number, you know, and then try to read that and interpret that. I mean, I remember it, going to the library. It's so <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's weird that we got anything. It's weird how much stuff got done. You know what I mean? Just yeah. completely analog. Then just went and got a bunch of plywood and started making bucks. Yeah. No CAD or anything. No, no CNC. He was, really, he was really young at the time, too, wasn't he? Like in his- I was just looking up one of our uh, other uh, old gay couple discussions was, I think, Charlie Acapu and how yeah. old he was and how old Pete was. And he's in Charlie we've interviewed and has been in a few of our docs. Um, 
and with this new Ford V Ferrari coming out now, he's playing. Uh, someone's playing Charlie. Yeah. Uh, I think we surmised that Charlie was t- about twenty at the time, and and Pete was like twenty six. Yeah, it's just. Wow. I mean, so yeah. I mean, yeah. even tw- I, I, these are kids yeah. out yeah, doing yeah. this stuff. Yeah, Crazy. And Charlie. Charlie was on uh, Ken Miles team like he was on like his engineering team first and then they all went to to shelby but he was he was probably 19 or something when he started working with what what do you guys i'm gonna tease this because uh, matt's gonna do a piece of brembo business but when a movie like ford v ferrari comes out with matt damon playing carol shelby and uh, christian bale playing ken miles and like i for instance I've always thought I always thought that the Ford GTs were undervalued for what they were. A few years ago, they were relatively cheap compared to the Ferrari GTOs and the Super Mega whatever cars out there. They were mm-hmm. relatively inexpensive and my thought at the time was, oh, they got a pushrod engine with a with a iron block, you know, like the, it's the American power plant that was kind of holding them down, you know, it wasn't a Porsche or Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, the four GTs are, are moving mm-hmm. and they're going to move fast and they're going to bridge. They're going to make up that space. There was a huge space between Ferrari stuff and the four GT, but people are starting to realize the four GT beat the Ferrari. Why is there this massive gap between those two? S- similarly, the Daytona, those were, I think, undervalued and underappreciated as well. Um, but when a movie like this then comes out, with these guys, there's going to be some Oscar buzz. They held it back to drop it in November when there is yeah, Oscar contention. End of the year buzz. Christian Bale's going to get nominated. It's, it can only help, but I, I'm I'm curious, like, what's your thoughts on a movie like that? Yeah, no, absolutely we do. And it, it parallels, interestingly, and I'm excited to see that movie. Obviously, the trailer's got yeah, we're tons of buzz. Like, yeah, we're social media is just totally. lit up about it. And it's a great story. So I'm really interested to see how they've interpreted it. Uh, but it parallels real well to we have the Lauda Ferrari sitting in the book yeah. cover, yeah. and right. obviously the the Rush movie you right. know was out and chronicled really well the Nicky Lauda and, and James Hunt rivalry and and I guess we're gonna you know we're gonna have a little bit of a test case as to you know there's no established market for a 312T at auction but we're gonna find out uh, and, and talking to our clients exactly what they thought of that car in relation to the movie I think it can have. You know, it, it it can't have a detriment to the marketplace on a on on a Ford on GT40. Uh, anything that brings the cars out into the consciousness of people um, and explains the kind of romance and allure of the time mm-hmm. and the drama that was involved. Motorsports, and we were talking about the story earlier, it is a romantic, dramatic, dangerous thing. And obviously, in your document documentaries, you know, Adam, you've addressed this and. And I think once people really get – once they delve into it, they find that it's a little microcosm of, of a lot of drama that happens in life. And the cars are the stars, absolutely, along with the drivers. So, yeah, we absolutely welcome. So you see a significant I mean, or, or a minor pop in valuations? I, I, think, when- I think it can have a significant uh, pop. I mean I, I think I was, just as you were describing it, I was thinking back on the um, – Pre-Tucker market. I have to be careful about saying that. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. The pre-Tucker b- before the movie and after the movie, the market definitely took a, a blip up. Uh, yeah. How much of it is directly correlated? I think there's. I definitely think there's a correlation. He, I, I mean, think it's, it's true. Awareness. I don't. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't. Tuckers are. I don't know. Two million bucks now, yeah. or people want two million bucks for them. I don't know if they're right. getting them, but right. that's what they want. And Tuckers formerly were just kind of funky cars from the forties. Yeah, that no yeah. One really not a knew lot of about. awareness. I think that movie yeah. created awareness, but yeah. awareness sort of in a positive way, yeah. which is interesting because sometimes uh, people pass away and you think those vehicles or something are going to pop and a lot of times it doesn't. I think it's just because of the the negative sort of tragic aspect of it. When Shelby passed away, I don't think the cars did anything really, right? I, but mm-hmm. when something a little bit more exciting like Ford versus Ferrari comes out, I think it will. I think there's a st- – my feeling from sort of examining the zeitgeist of this is um, there's a steeping period like when Steve McQueen died, his stuff didn't pop because he died. He just went. He, he just died, and yeah. and it took like twenty years to have the market kind of go. Oh, that guy was a cool guy. Wouldn't it be cool to have his bomber jacket or his nine seventeen or whatever it was? <laughs> it became. It, but I mean, he was dead for twenty years. Yeah. You know, it, it's sort of like Freddie Mercury dead for. 28 years and then they or whatever it was and then they make a movie you know they never really come out with the movie you'd think they'd go oh this guy died now let's have the movie come out next year on the anniversary is that oh no they wait decades it's it's weird by the way every time they don't wait that long it's not very successful if there's some sort of yes when they rush you know, when they rush to, yeah. to, to get Angry Birds, the movie out, like, for, <laughs> because, the, because the games is, is so you popular. Know, Pokemon, it you know, doesn't work. It doesn't work. Like yeah, they have to yeah. they have to wait. I, I started buying Newman stuff for that reason. I was like, I get it. He's he's uh, I bought some stuff when he was still alive. But after he died, still nobody cared because I felt like, well, McQueen, nobody cared either. We just are going to wait. And I feel like. McQueen taught us a little lesson for Newman that it would probably speed up a little. Like instead of 20 years, maybe it'd be 10 years or 15 years or Mm -hmm. something. Well, I think nostalgia is a powerful thing. Right. And it's sometimes it takes a little nostalgia to get things, you know, back to the fore of people's minds. McQueen's a great point because he's been he's as famous, at least in our kind of car culture these days, as he I think he ever was as a movie star. Obviously, maybe not to as broad an audience. But he's an absolute hero to people in our, you know, there's still people buying his T-shirts with his likeness on it right and left. And we see it at just about every car event we ever go to. Yeah. We have a McQueen motorcycle in the auction. We have a McQueen motorcycle. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Come come buy a McQueen motorcycle. Absolutely. Uh, The estimate is... Two fifty to three hundred, I think. Okay. Yeah. Now, what and how does it compare to other motorcycles? <laughs> well, it's um, yeah, it was two, three, the, three, great two. story. A great story to it. it. It was like the first when he first uh, went to New York and got what an year, acting gig. I'm sorry, is the bike the Indian it's or approximately seven? I believe. All right, so it's a forties. Okay, yeah, yeah. Indian. So he, you know, he was always a fan of uh, old bikes and, and whatnot. And so when he first got uh, some money from from acting, this was the first thing he bought. This was the first treat he had, and he had it all through his life. You know, he bought and sold a lot of stuff through his through his time, but he had it his whole life. Oh, and, so this uh, is a again. Also, I know from. Newman stuff. There's stuff he sat in or looked at once, right. and then stuff he owned and drove loved and had. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. So this is something he really loved, and uh, he had it his whole life, his the, the rest of his life. And uh, so we're you know we're excited. We'll see how you, the, how, you, that, how it does. You have to go about documenting that and authenticating that. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. the real question then for us is, and and I guess the listeners is, what's that Indian worth? The same bike in the same condition, same yeah. year, minus What's the McQueen. McQueen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. So 
you know, I, I would say it's probably a hundred to one hundred and fifty thousand dollar bike, and with the McQueen factor, it's two fifty to three hundred. So it we'll essentially see. doubled. Yeah. What yeah. what it would be? Okay. Yeah. That's an expensive bike. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Normally, right? Well, it's a really yeah. great original. Yeah. Uh, Indian. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, when we're looking at one that says 1936. Yeah, is yeah that, it's no, that's that is it. It's a 30. Oh. Yeah, it's a it's a pre-war bike. I'm but that's, sorry. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, there's only 140 cars and bikes. <laughs> to remember, every single auction we ever yeah. do, it, it gets a little yeah. rough. But the um, yeah. the um, uh, the singer. Yeah, yeah. I was so, just gonna say, let's touch on the singer. We again. were so we're interested about the singer. We love singer. I love the story of singer. We love the way they do their cars. Um, I've talked to a few guys who are ordering singers and I'd love to own a singer one of these days and, and everyone would. Um, but what we're talking about is the estimate, which is 800 to a million dollars. And I was saying to Matt, um, these guys, I mean, I don't know, it's two, three year waiting list or right. whatever it is. Um, time, I, I can tell you as a, as a rich guy, Matt can't tell you this, but I can, <laughs> as, a, as a rich guy, you want stuff when you want it and time is money, man. And you will pay more or premium or whatever it is to get what you want now. I mean, God, anyone who's ever built a custom home or something, they would gladly put down another several hundred grand if they could have the keys handed to them today instead of three years from three now, years, you know, yeah. or whatever it is. Yep. Is that the premium that's factored into the car? Because I guess the singers are start at five fifty and can go up or six or something like yeah. that. This obviously is eight to a million. Are we paying that vig to jump to the front of the line, or is the car's value as a singer becoming that? Yeah, I think it's I think it's or a little both. I think it's a little bit of both. Obviously, we're we're relying on someone obviously one one now that that otherwise is not on the list and that would be great to be great to have someone with that motivation this particular car is also a really enviable spec you could i believe just go to singer and build it for less if you do want to put your name on the on the list and wait um, but it isn't it isn't a car that you would end up with at like that base price of a 550 range sure. which i think is somewhat accurate you know we could check that obviously but it's it's done to this amazing 4 liter lightweight spec with seats that they don't usually use in those cars that was custom done by this guy it's in incredible colors it's still kind of as new when it comes to a condition standpoint so yeah, and then this is the first singer to come to public auction. So we're we're trying to figure out just like everybody else yeah. if these cars like a lot of modern Porsches that have come out and immediately seen boost in values, we'll find out at, again at the same time as everyone else well, exactly that, where the It goes back to our conversation on like comps and things like that. Exactly. Like, how do you know? I don't know. At I some have point a, it's going to be what does the guy want for it? And, and, well, I I I I don't I think it's a little different than that. We we're talking about the Rod Emery Outlaw mm-hmm. that just went for 500k, yeah. uh, uh, Icon stuff, Jonathan Ward. Yeah, you know, we these to are, ask about those, that. Those to me, guys. those to me are comps for what you're talking about. New Porsches going up, you know, at the day after you buy right. them and stuff is good too. But to me, uh, it's more like what what are those because other guys off car and building those yeah. bespoke cars and those things doing so well after they been sold for a second time uh a rod emery to me that like something like the rod emery i i'm not a, a 356 fella per se i i'm much more in the singer department but this these are good examples of like hey this stuff is going up uh, unlike you know, back in the day chip foose would build something 
uh, for Chris Titus, and it might, you know, then after the divorce, it, it didn't always get your money back. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Good news is she's getting half of less. <laughs> she's getting half of less. <laughs> well, the long-term collectability is always going to be in flux, and it's always something that's going to change, and, yeah. and that's going to come decade to decade. And so establishing, establishing it now is, is obviously something that an auction is going to be really good at. And, and like I said, we'll find out. But your examples, I think, are all very astute because – the the first people to ever do Porsches like Singer is doing them is Singer. The first person to ever treat 356 resto modding and restoration like Emery is the Emery's. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first person to do stuff like Jonathan Ward is doing is Jonathan Ward. And so they're yeah. really, really interesting cases like that where someone had to pay up right at the beginning for Raychem wiring harnesses and carbon fiber this and 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 uh, that isn't always an easy thing to get your money back out of, but they've taken on this mystique and the, the, you know, the quality of the products is so over the top that I think there's long-term, you know, collectability built in at some level, at some level. Yeah. And we had that again, it goes back to what, what we were saying earlier. We don't know what it'll, what it'll do. So it'll be interesting to see what, where it's going to end up. And, you know, I mean, on the day, we'll find out. Everybody so. with a singer and everyone who works at Singer is definitely <laughs> going to be watching because that will yeah. literally tell them that day what that car is worth or right. what the car you ordered is going to be worth. What or that singer is worth. But, of course, each one is different. So Yeah, I know. But it'll, yeah, it'll, but it'll, it if a guy – if a guy – we'll get back to the wives here for a second. <laughs> if a guy – has ordered his singer for six seventy five, and his wife's given him a lot of shit, and that's a ton of money to spend on a car. And why don't you just spend two fifty and get a new Ferrari? You could have got tomorrow. And now you're waiting three years, and she's up his ass, and that thing hammers for nine twenty nine thirty five or whatever. Then he can look at his wife and go, "Shut up." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is what we're all striving, you know, for out of life. You know, okay. we're all looking pass. for this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you want to yeah. say to your wife, like, "Okay, now get off my back." Yeah. I, I know, yeah. We know that when my car's done, I'm not saying it's going to hammer for nine hundred and thirty-five, but we know yeah. when it's done that this six seventy-five was a good. Seemed like a good investment. It, yeah. it is. A, it's an interesting benchmark. You're right. It's this weird, like, sort of rich guy and gal world benchmark where, you know, we do this show and Ken Lingenfelder sits here and he goes, hey, I got good news. I was just selected to give Ferrari $2 million. You right. know, tip for a lot of Ferrari. Yeah. Like, and, uh, and then, that's a wonderful car. And it. I was like, oh, wow, that must be a wonderful letter to get in the mail. Yeah. Like, congratulations. Yeah. We'll take your money. But he knows. Knows it's free money, right? Because yeah. the yeah. next day that car's three million dollars, or two point eight, or three point five, or yeah. whatever. Like, there's yeah. just some version of it where you're like, uh, and I guess maybe Ferrari can kind of see it that way. Yeah. Maybe after Monterey, Singer can sort of sing it, see it that way. Yeah. But the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting is why these I don't know micro manufacturers or coach built manufacturers are the ones that are standing out in the crowd as opposed to uh, the one Ring Brothers car or the one Chip Foose car. Like those cars are pretty special. They're all hand built. But Singer needs to make 30 cars, 40 cars, all a little different, but they need sort of a manufacturer mentality. Emery, Singer, uh, Icon. By the way, uh, Jonathan Ward's derelict cars are amazing, but that's not his his sort of manufacturing conveyor belt cars. It's his Broncos and his and his Land Cruisers, and those are the ones that are popping up for money. Mm-hmm. I, not, 
not as not as hot rods, basically. Right. I I think I'm going to answer. Yeah, you should answer. <laughs> I'm going to answer. I think you need. I, I I don't. I feel like a handful of Ferrari GTOs makes GTOs worth more than one. Like mm-hmm. when you do like you hear that one, oh, it's a Schnauzer. And you go, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a defunct German company. And, and you're like, oh, I don't know what that one car is. Like we need a little more. Now, we don't need 5,000, but we don't need five. Or we could use five, but we don't need one or two. Like when they get yeah. really low, you need a little volume. No, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, I it, should work for you. Put me on retainer, would you? <laughs> what are you doing with Hans? By the way, Hans' first re- his real name, Larry. Larry. <laughs> just, his name is Larry Carson. Larry. He's, he's from the him. Reno area. He's, yeah. he's pulling hey, this grift, I was man. wondering why Hans were always in quotes. <laughs> his name is. He, he sold siding six years ago. Oh, three years ago. Three yeah. years ago. It's not whenever you guys change to uh, Friday, Saturday. Yeah. That's when he stopped he, selling siding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hire yeah. a real expert. Yeah, yeah. He's, good looking. He's a good looking guy though. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Reno. I'm, I was born in Reno. That's a whole oh man. Yeah. So was Larry. Yeah, so was Larry. <laughs> That's where I met him. Yeah, yeah. Tune in next week for another episode of Going Racing. New episodes available on Podcast One and Apple Podcast.